please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Can your portfolio sail to the green with Norwegian Cruise Lines? How to manage your emotions when fear takes over? And with markets so undervalued right now, where should you invest in this quarter? This is Investing Insights. Welcome to the new Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ruth Saldana. Let's get started with a look at your Morningstar headlines. Norwegian Cruise Line says it's managed to navigate the rough current stirred up by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, bookings are back in line with 2019 levels and are at higher prices. Its unique positioning allows Norwegian to remain the cruise industry's priced leader. The company offers a greater number of upscale berths and a significant number of cabins with balconies. And with future cruise credits stemming from COVID-19 cancellations expiring in December 2022, next year's pricing shouldn't experience any drag from relocated bookings. Morningstar urges caution given near-term uncertainty in the macroeconomics, but expects inflationary pressures to prove short-lived, leading to long-term annual pricing growth of around 3%. We don't plan any change to our $28 estimate of what we believe the stock is worth, and we view current prices as being significantly undervalued. There's no way for investors to cut risk entirely, so learning ways to conquer well, or at least manage their fears, is quite important. Morningstar behavioral economist Sarah Newcomb looks at the several ways in which fear can lead to situations that have, well, nothing to do with market fundamentals. Newcomb says it's normal to experience fear when faced with uncertainty or an uncontrollable threat. Now, an exposure to stocks is a must for most investors to meet their goals, but stock market volatility can definitely create anxiety. Research is one way to reduce that anxiety, but Newcomb also says that investors should practice emotional coping skills to help combat the potential negative effects of fear on investment behavior. For more tips and tactics, check out the full article called Fear Itself on Morningstar.com. A drop in PC sales was the main reason Advanced Micro Devices, or AMD, saw a dip in the third quarter. AMD's preliminary results showed that revenue came in at more than a billion dollars less than management had originally estimated. Now, while Morningstar had expected PC sales to slow down from the high demand seen early on in the pandemic when people had suddenly had to work from home, this was disappointing because AMD had been gaining market share. Many peers like NVIDIA, Intel, and Micron have already issued weaker outlooks for the second half of 2022 but AMD's announcements could indicate even greater cuts to PC assumptions. However, we think its data center business should continue to show strong growth thanks to superior products relative to Intel. We are lowering our estimate of what we think the stock is worth by $15 down to $115 a share, but we think that long-term investors will find AMD shares quite attractive at current levels. Retirement plans across the country may finally be getting serious about adding more annuity options. This will help the pool of near retirees allocate to products that can help generate income in retirement. But our research suggests that this may not be the right tactic for everyone. Morningstar's Associate Director of Retirement Studies, Spencer Look, is here to tell us why. Spencer, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me on. What's the biggest determinant of the right lifetime income strategy? No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, from our, from our analysis, 
Um, there are a lot of factors to consider, but one of the best ways to tell or assess whether a lifetime income strategy or any annuity-based strategy could be, could be beneficial was by looking at the ratio of wealth to needed annual income in retirement. Uh, that denominator piece, needed annual income, that's going to be total needs, less social security benefits. Um, but what we found is that if that ratio of wealth to needed income is 36 or higher, um, there just wasn't a lot of benefits from annuities. Um, this is a rule of thumb that, you know, it's based on our projection model. It's going to be sensitive to our assumptions and our framework. But we do think it's a really good starting place for investors who are grappling with this decision. Um, you know, what we found essentially is at that level of wealth to needed income, 36 or higher, um, you know, in our analysis, investors are able to achieve their retirement goal really the vast majority of the time. And that's, that's really our rationale. Um, but investors kind of, you know, below that ratio, there's definitely a lot of potential for annuities to provide benefits. Spencer, you found that annuities don't add much value for some investors. Which investors are these and why? Yeah, I think that, you know, I know I touched on this a little bit on the, the prior question, but, um, you know, one type of investor that doesn't get a lot of benefits from annuities would be those who've saved a lot of wealth, you know, relative to their needed income, you know, in retirement. Uh, what we found was, you know, for these investors, they can more or less self-insure against longevity risk. They can self-insure against market risk. Um, there's not a lot of value that annuities will provide, you know, from that perspective. Uh, that being said, one thing I think I wanted to clarify is that these type of investors, um, they can benefit from, you know, psychologically from an annuity sale, more stable income. Uh, annuities can also enable these kind of wealthier, more well-funded investors to spend more. So there are still some benefits. Um, just one caveat, I think that's good to call out with that. The other type of investor, though, that we found would not benefit um, often from annuities would be those who um, already have a high level of income relative to their expenses from Social Security or other existing guaranteed income sources. Um, I think that's, a, that's an intuitive one. You know, if there's already a lot of guaranteed income, there's just not as much that an annuity can do. There's not a lot of room that where an annuity can make an impact. So those are the two types of you know, investors that we found in our analysis that uh, you know, wouldn't benefit too much from, from allocations to an annuity. On the flip side, for whom would annuities work? No, that's a, yeah, another great question, Ruth. Uh, you know, using our, our rule of thumb, I, you know, I think there's kind of maybe two boxes to, to check. Uh, you know, the first thing would be looking at that ratio of wealth to needed income. Um, if that's less than 36, I think that's, that's one good indicator that, you know, an investor could have the right profile potentially to benefit. Uh, and then the other thing to check is, you know, how much guaranteed income, uh, how much guaranteed income does an investor have? What portion of expenses are covered by existing social security benefits or pensions or other things? Um, and as long as it's not that, as long as that amount is not too high, then I think um, investors with that kind of profile can definitely benefit. Um, I think I touched on this or mentioned this a little bit, but annuities can provide you know, help against market risks, can help hedge against longevity risks. There are a lot more potential for benefits for those type of investors with that, with that profile. So for these investors from who an annuity could work, what should they do right now? No, that's, a, yeah, it's another great, another great question, Ruth. I, you know, I think for those investors, um, it's really important to understand the trade-offs. There's a lot of factors to kind of look into. And, you know, one thing to mention is some level of personalized analysis is often, is often helpful. 
with uh, with this type of decision. Um, but with you know, you know, broadly speaking, I think investors need to ask themselves questions such as you know, how much do I value income stability? Does that really matter to me? Do I need a higher guaranteed income floor that Social Security on top of Social Security? Um, would I really get a lot of value from that? Um, how important is you know leaving behind a bequest uh, for my beneficiaries? Um, how important is optionality? Um, you know, do I want to change my mind potentially later on? Um, the different type of annuities. Um, there's a lot of trade-offs with them. There's you know really two broad categories: income annuities and then deferred annuities. And with income annuities, they tend to provide a higher payout of income, but there's less flexibility. It's an tend to be an irrevocable decision where you can't go back and change your mind. Whereas deferred annuities tend to provide more flexibility. So, you know, I think answering those questions and then, you know, can help investors confirm, you know, one, is an annuity actually the right fit? And then two, what type of annuity, you know, an income annuity or deferred annuity would be, you know, worthwhile considering further. Great. Thank you so much for being here today, Spencer. Thank you so much for having me on. Morningstar's U.S. market strategist Dave Sakara thinks that markets are still undervalued, though he cautions investors to expect a lot more volatility in the months to come. Now, if you have some money and would like to invest, where should you look right now? Dave thinks both growth and value stocks are cheap overall. He also sees good secular tailwinds for medtech. He shares his thoughts with Susan Jubinski, Morningstar.com's director of content. Listen in. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. U.S. stocks hit new lows for the year during the third quarter. Stocks are down about 25% so far in 2022. Here today to discuss the headwinds in today's market and how investors might fine-tune their stock holdings in the fourth quarter is Morningstar's chief U.S. market strategist, Dave Sikara. So Dave, let's talk a little bit briefly about the third quarter. Um, in July and August, stocks rebounded from their lows in June, but then they tanked again in September. So talk a little bit about some of those headwinds that are facing stocks today. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, you know, the first half of the year, the markets were just generally on a downward trend, really sold off in June and got to some pretty low valuations, you know, in our view. Now, what really happened is those four headwinds we've been talking about since the beginning of the year, you know, really converged in June. And that's what we think pushed the market down to really kind of very low valuation levels, especially on a historical basis. Now, in July and August, you know, looking at some of the inflationary metrics and some of the economic metrics, you know, we thought that some of those headwinds were starting to abate. So between those headwinds looking like they're starting to abate and some pretty low valuation levels, we saw the market recover, you know, in July mm -hmm. and August. Now, unfortunately, in September, it appears those headwinds really started coming back again. And as they came back, you know, then we saw the markets, you know, sell off, you know, pretty strong going all the way into the end of September. Now, at the end of September, the markets really look like they did get oversold you know, a little bit going into the end of the quarter and the end of the month. So it's interesting. We've seen a really strong rally the past two days, you know, the first mm -hmm. two trading days you know, here in October. So it's interesting to see you know, how much the market is you know, coming back you know, off of some of those lows. Now, we do think the markets are undervalued still. And I would just caution investors, though, I also expect to see a lot more volatility still in the months to come. So those four headwinds you know, are still out there. We're still looking to see you know, when those inflationary headwinds are going to start coming down, when we see kind of more of a sustainable, longer-term you know, uptrend for the economy. 
And then I'm also just watching like the US dollar, you know, that's certainly been a headwind here for, you know, earnings as well. So once those are playing out over the next couple of months, depending on how those metrics come out, yeah, I do think we can see some of these days where you can certainly expect the markets to move, you know, anywhere up or down one yeah. or 2% or even more based on when those metrics are released. So, you know, despite what will very likely be, you know, ongoing volatility in the market, you know, you noted in your latest quarterly report that really there have been few other times where stocks have looked this undervalued according yeah. to Morningstar's metrics. So let's let's talk a little bit about that in, in a broad sense. Like how does the market look from a valuation standpoint as we're here in the beginning of the fourth quarter? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, you know, we think stocks right now are trading at about a 20% discount to a composite of our fair values. Now, we do look at the market, you know, differently than I think a lot of what you're going to hear from a lot of other, you know, market forecasters. So again, a lot of other forecasters, they take that top-down approach. They have some sort of model that they're going to use to estimate earnings for a broad market index, and then they apply a forward multiple to that to come up with like their one-year forward target for the market. We do the exact opposite. So we cover about 700 stocks that trade here in the US. And so we take a composite of where those stocks are trading in the marketplace today and compare that to that bottom up, you know, intrinsic valuation conducted by our analyst team and compare it to that composite as well. So that's how we come up with that price to fair value metric, which right now is showing the stocks are pretty much as cheap as they've been, you know, going back through 2010, as you mentioned, only a couple of other instances like, you know, the beginning of the pandemic or maybe going back towards, you know, the European sovereign debt crisis in 2011, have we seen valuations get this low? So let's do a deep dive and, and sort of peel back the onion on, on valuations in the market. Um, first, let's talk about valuations across different market capitalizations mm -hmm. and investment styles. You know, are there particular market caps or styles that look cheaper than others today? Sure. So we do break our valuations down into the Morningstar style box. And when we look at it by category, yeah, I would note that the growth category and the value category are both you know, the ones that are the most undervalued today, whereas you know, core or blend stocks, you know, they're still undervalued, but not nearly as much closer to you know, fair value than those two. So I think you know, from a relative value position, you know, investors might be best positioned today with what I call barbell portfolio. So again, you know, being overweight value stocks, overweight growth stocks, and then underweight core stocks. So from a market capitalization perspective, you know, I would note that both the large cap and the mid cap are trading at about the same you know, discount to valuations today. So I really wouldn't necessarily you know, think too much about overweighting or underweighting one or, or the other of those. But I do note that small cap stocks are the ones that we think are really trading at the biggest discount from a market cap perspective. So let's uh, pivot over and talk a little bit about sectors. Now, mm -hmm. interestingly, despite rising interest rates and you know, still pretty high inflation, utilities have continued to outperform mm -hmm. this year and are really the only sector that we cover that we would consider technically to be overvalued. Though a mm -hmm. lot of those defensive sectors like you know, healthcare and consumer mm -hmm. defensive are also kind of close to, to fair value. Talk a little bit about valuations across mm -hmm. different sectors today. Well, as you mentioned, you know, utilities is trading at a slight premium you know, to our fair value estimates today. So that would be you know, one sector that I'd be more cautious in investing in today. You know, it's not terribly overvalued, mm -hmm. but it's probably played out. Again, as you mentioned, it's a defensive sector. So again, I think that's probably what's helped it you know, outperform you know, this year. And those 
those other defensive sectors have also held up relatively well compared to more of the cyclical sectors. It's really those cyclical sectors where we see you know, some of the best valuations today. And so for investors who are looking at getting involved there, you, know, you can certainly take you know, more broad market or broad sector exposure you know, there. But for investors you know, who are looking for you know, individual stock picks in some of those sectors, I'd really recommend right now making sure that you're sticking with those stocks are going to be much more levered to longer term secular themes within those sectors. Mm. So for example, you know, we've talked about like in the basic material sector before, because of the long-term structural shift to electric vehicles, you know, we think that lithium is going to be undersupplied for the next decade. So a lot of the lithium producers we think are undervalued you know, on the consumer cyclical space. You know, again, we expect to see a big shift in spending you know, away from goods and into services as consumer behavior normalizes. So again, I'd look for those stocks that are going to be levered towards that shift in spending you know, within that sector. And then lastly, let's talk a little bit our, about economic moats, which, mm-hmm. you know, we use as sort of a measure or benchmark of a company's quality. Um, are we seeing that, you know, wide moat stocks are, you know, more undervalued today than narrow or no moat stocks? What's, mm-hmm. what's that look like? So those, you know, wide economic moat stocks, those are going to be the companies that we think are very high quality. Those are the companies that have, you know, those long-term durable competitive advantages that's going to help that company over a very long time period be able to out-earn, you know, its cost of capital. So as you mentioned, you know, there's really two things going on in the marketplace, you know, this year. So the wide moat stocks have sold off. And in fact, you know, depending on which wide moat stocks you're looking at, they've sold off you know, as much or sometimes you know, even more than the broad market. So they're actually trading as a group, like in line on a valuation basic with those no moat companies, which you wouldn't necessarily suspect what would happen. So from a fundamental point of view, you know, I think what's going on in that sector today is that you know, you're seeing the, comp- the, seeing the you know, the marketplace kind of undervalue, you know, those long-term prospects of the company. So I think too much of the marketplace right now is probably focused on, you know, short-term earnings growth, really thinking about, you know, the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter of this year, and really, you know, taking multiples down on those stocks, you know, in our view, probably unfairly. You know, the other thing that's going on is from a technical perspective, those stocks are probably getting hit a little bit harder. So I think right now a lot of portfolio managers, especially those that have had a lot of redemptions in their funds, you know, they're out there trying to sell stocks in order to raise cash to meet those redemptions. Well, what happens is, you know, those high quality stocks are going to have a deeper liquidity pool to be able to sell Mm -hmm. into. So I think portfolio managers have to some degree gotten to the point where, you know, they started selling, you know, especially here in September, you know, what they could as opposed to necessarily what they would have preferred to. That's interesting. So, Dave, you know, given that we're seeing, you know, um, stock market valuations, you know, very near, if not at the bottom that we've we've seen, you know, historically from a discount perspective, mm-hmm. is it time to back up the truck on stocks? <laughs> well, you know, it's certainly tempting to, I'm sure. But I think that really is going to depend on like an individual investor's, you know, risk appetite. So again, I do think now is certainly a great time for investors to be judiciously, you know, adding to their risk exposure, adding to their equity exposure, you know, within their portfolios. You know, personally, I like to layer into positions more. So again, you know, when the market is trading down, you know, I like to be able to buy into it as the market is going down. Certainly takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to be able to buy when the market is going down. But then conversely, you know, when you do see the market, you know, take some good up you know, days in a row, you know, that might be a better time to then take some of those gains off the table. Again, I do expect over the foreseeable future, we're going to see a lot of market volatility, at least over the next several months. So Dave, for those mm-hmm. investors who may want to judiciously add to their stock weightings, as you, as you mm-hmm. say, what are some ideas that Morningstar has today? What are some stocks we like? 
Well, as we talked a little bit about, you know, earlier is, you know, in a volatile environment like this, I really do like sticking with those stocks that you really are confident in that are leveraged to those, you know, long-term secular themes. And I think that helps, you know, give investors the confidence, you know, to stick with those investments, you know, through the ups and downs of the marketplace. So one that I've actually been recently doing some more research and working with our analyst team is in the med tech space. And we think, you know, there are certainly a lot of good secular tailwinds within medtech, but we see a lot of undervalued opportunities there today. So while healthcare overall, you know, is one of those sectors that's, you know, much closer to, you know, fair value than some of the cyclical sectors, I think within that medtech space, we certainly see, you know, a couple of undervalued mm -hmm. stocks. So, for example, you know, the first would be Zimmer Biomet. So that is a five-star rated stock. It trades at a 36% discount, you know, to our fair value. And one of the things that's going on there is, you know, during the pandemic, you had a lot of patients that had been putting off, you know, procedures, you know, different type of like large joint replacements mm -hmm. over the past couple of years. So I know our analytical team has taken a look at the backlog, you know, for the company. They estimate that backlog, you know, based on those, you know, kind of delayed procedures plus just kind of the natural growth in that sector, you know, is up to two years. So again, mm -hmm. that would be one stock, you know, I like in that space. Uh, the next one is going to be a little bit of a riskier situation, but I think it does have some really good, strong, you know, longer-term, you know, catalysts, and that's Illumina. Mm -hmm. So Illumina is uh, rated four stars right now, trades at a 35% discount to our fair value. This is one I would recommend, though, that I do think investors, you know, go ahead, go and dig into, you know, the company to some pretty good degree. Make sure you understand, you know, some of these catalysts. But this is one of those stocks that we've identified that we do think could have, you know, exponential growth possibilities, you know, in the future. Mm -hmm. So specifically, they do have a product in the liquid biopsy space, you know, that we expect to come to market over the next couple of years that can screen for, I think, up to 50 different types of cancers. Mm -hmm. And that really could be, you know, a game changer in cancer screening. And then lastly, you know, in the healthcare space on a totally different track uh, would be Zoetis. So Zoetis is actually, in our view, the leader of uh, innovative pet therapeutics. So that stock is a four-star rated stock, trading at a 20% discount you know, to our fair value. And when our analytical team you know, has looked specifically at that space you know, in pet care, you know, they're really seeing that over time that you know, a lot of pet owners have really been shifting you know, their attitudes on you know, how much they're going to be willing to spend you know, on their pets and their pet health care. So that's an area where we do see long-term secular growth. Well, Dave, thank you for your time today, for your perspective, um, for your stock ideas. And uh, we'll do it again at the end of the fourth quarter. Nice Great. to see you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan and Dave. And that's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Morningstar's YouTube channel to see new videos about market news, personal finance, and investment picks. Thanks to podcast producer Jake Bankerson, who puts this show together. I'm Ruth Saldana, an editorial manager at Morningstar. Thank you for listening to Investing Insights. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, 
damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.